For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Different articles from different newspapers. But the front page of the examiner is probably the best front page I've seen in the examiner in years. Uh, for me, it's just the perfect front page of a newspaper. You got, uh, and, and that's why I brought the, the whole thing in this morning. You got the union objecting to consultants um, trying to get uh, the likes of the CUH to run more efficiently. And they're telling key staff at the hospital not to cooperate with PwC consultants. The other part of that story is the incredible amount of money that's spent when you bring in consultants. And the examiner reported yesterday that €608,000 was paid to PwC between October and December alone in escalating monthly amounts huge amounts of money. But the latest in this now is the unions are saying don't engage with them. Uh, That's one story. The other one, of course, is the massive fine uh, that Facebook owners Meta have been fined um, in Ireland. 1.2 billion. They will pay it over. um, And there may even be more to come. It has to do with, of course, your data if you're a Facebook user being shipped from Europe to America. And, you know, your data is money. And that's what this is all about. It's it's like trading in currencies or trading in stocks or, or trading in oil or what have you. It's worth money. Uh, and, of course, that's not acceptable. And so here in Ireland, there's a 1.2 billion euro fine. It's a windfall for the Irish economy. But as to whether they use it wisely or not, I do not know. And then um, other related matters then. And, and this is this is very, very, very serious. Now, I know it's only 30 customers. Again, this is the front page of the same examiner. AIB has confirmed that property deeds of 30 customers have been destroyed during some kind of maintenance work that was going on at uh, a Cork City Centre branch of uh, AIB. Um, it's the 66 South Mal branch and the Data Protection Commissioners have been alerted about this. The deeds of 30 houses. What happens next now? These were original deeds. My understanding of it, and I'm going to take some legal advice, but my understanding of it is that you can't have photocopied deeds. You have to have the deeds that are stamped you know, and then you have all of the history of the house or the property or the land going back for sometimes hundreds of years. So so what happens now? What does that mean that the property stands at now if you ever wanted to sell it? Or, you know, it, it, it seems bizarre. Like, can you just manufacture new deeds? Uh, if somebody listening out there can shed some light on it, that'd be great. And the third one then. It's just so heartbreaking. There are now 42,000 threatened species that we share the planet with. Think about that. 42,000 other species that we are killing and driving to extinction. So Ron Page are making the examiner today because it's a a review by Queen's University Belfast. 48% of species on the planet um, are declining towards extinction. Um, and they call this as part of the global diversity crisis that we're living with. Yes, it could have to do with climate warning and warming. And I know that not everybody agrees with that. And sometimes I even taught, taught about it myself. But having said that, you know, with the ever increasing amount of industrialization on this planet, uh, cutting down of rainforests, the, the uh, insatiable quest for fuel and what have you, whether that's fuel for burning or energy or indeed fuel for the body, it's having a shocking impact on 70,000 species, of which 42,000 are seriously threatened. So that's all on the front page of the Examiner. It's a great front page, it really is. And I'm also happy to say that Blackpool and Douglas and Beaumont share something in common this morning. They are all revolting and rebelling and pushing back against Bus Connect 
who think that they can come down here and tell us how our city should run or how our road network should run um, or, you know, what should happen with regards to our footpaths or our walls or our trees. So the front page on the Echo, residents resist bus routes. They're honing in on the Echo today with regards to Blackpool, but I can throw into the mix, of course, having spoken about it yesterday, Douglas and indeed Beaumont as well. There's people power for you. Um, I know I'm talking a lot about uh, Cork stories this morning or what have you. There are a couple of interesting ones making the court reports, actually. One is a guy who had 63 grand of drugs discovered in a shipping container in Centre Park Road. It's another example example actually of how an awful lot of stuff has been caught in the Port of Cork. This wasn't the Port of Cork itself technically at Centre Park Road but you know they're, they're always checking container traffic. I don't know if they can get into every single container but we heard about two weeks ago uh, of um, a sniffer dog actually uh, turning over like millions of euro of drugs down in the Port of Cork and there was another fellow then who drove at a Garda he had a drug stash, apparently. He was carrying a stash of drugs and he drove at a member of Ungarda Shikana trying to stop him from getting away. He's been jailed for two years now. A fellow called Kieran Brown out of Mallow. And that's the story that makes the court reports of the Echo. But you'll get 12 years if you attack a guard. Um, there's new legislation going to go through the doll and I can see them not agreeing with hiking the sentencing for anyone convicted of assault causing harm to a guard or any emergency worker, for that matter. It will go up to 12 years. And it's a story making the sun today. Incidentally, it will also apply to something that I noticed that's happening a lot more frequently now, and that is ramming Garda cars, ramming other emergency service vehicles. Uh, there's no sense in any of that. Absolutely not. Um, you can kind of half understand why somebody who's trying to get away might ram a Garda car, but why in the name of God would you be ramming the fire brigade or why would you be ramming an ambulance? But it's a story that makes the sun this morning. And the riddle of the... Um, disappearance of Madeleine McCann is in all of the papers today because divers now are going back to an area, a reservoir, which was often visited by the prime suspect. You, you know the guy Christian Bruckner? Um, he's German. Uh, German police now are going to scour the water and the land of a particular dam area in Portugal after uncovering new information. Could it be that 15 years after her disappearance, that in the coming days or weeks, we might have this riddle solved as to where she is and possibly what happened to her. The Independent this morning on his front page talks of direct provision centres tripling. Uh, you know, for about 10 years now, there's been calls and people, me included, are saying direct provision should be shut down. They're inhumane and cruel. But in spite of that, they have tripled. They don't have any choice, actually, to deal with the amount of people who are coming to Ireland seeking asylum. And added into the mix now is you have the ever-increasing numbers of people coming in uh, under international protection orders. So the number of direct provision centres has tripled, and the only way they're coping now is by using the hospitality industry to take up the slack, and it's a front page in the Indo today. While the Mail this morning uh, talks about two new migrant blockades have sprung up, there isn't a week goes by that there isn't some kind of protest somewhere we know of the uh, Magana Hotel down in County Clare. There's a similar protest now against uh, international protection seekers who are being brought into uh, Santry in North Dublin. And that's a front pager making the mail today. But with regards to the cost of living, there are a lot of interesting stories. Um, and it doesn't surprise me. And I spoke about this on air yesterday and proof of the pudding this morning that I wasn't lying to you about Ireland being just the gold medal winner when it comes to ripping off public. Wholesale electricity prices are down 40% on this time last year. 42.5% lower than April last year. But yet residential customers' bills have gone up by 51%. How can that be? 
How can it even be allowed? They're saying the government today are going to talk about it. How can you put manage, manners on energy providers without changing legislation, considering that it's much of it, not all of it, but much of it, private economy um, and uh, capitalism. But consumers really and truly are being absolutely scalped and ripped off. 42% less now uh, for um, uh, energy um, than, uh, you know, 12 months ago. But yet prices have gone up by 51%. In fact, the price of building a home makes the mail today. I've just discovered this morning, not including the land now or anything like that, but they're saying in the mail, in my reading of this, is that, like, like, forget about the land or the cost of the land. The average cost to build a three-bedroom semi is €134,500. Um, that's the, what you need when it comes to bricks and mortar and plaster and you know, timber and stuff like that. Um, and wages too. So 134500 but it's 10 grand dearer now to build a three-bedroom now than it was 12 months ago because uh, the, past, the price of plaster has gone up by 36%, concrete's gone up by 27%, blocks and bricks are up 19%. So everything seems to go up here. Uh, nothing seems to fall. Um, you know, you probably heard yesterday, and I'll, I'll play a vox on the streets of Cork on this, but um, Ireland's got uh, more labelling, you know, more kind of um, people telling you what's good for you and what's bad for you and what have you. Remember the smoking ban in pubs? It came out in 2004 and it met for fiery opposition at the time from all sorts of groups. We were the first country in the world to do this and then everybody followed suit and many countries have copied the smoking ban, particularly in, in social settings and particularly pubs and restaurants and hotels and what have you, um, in the workplace too. But now we've got a new one, which is uh, placing warnings on alcohol bottles and posters in pubs uh, showing the increased risk to drinkers of of liver disease and cancer and the dangers of pregnant women drinking. Uh, like the smoking ban. Actually, more probably like the labelling that was put on cigarette packets as well. But some are saying that this is just overly zealous and it's, it's a bit like Big Brother and being constantly told what to do and when to do it and what's good and what's bad for you. So we have a vox on the streets of Cork on that one with, uh, with Seamus a little later on. And they're also talking about next year a ban on television and radio where there will be no alcohol ads on radio or television before 9pm any day, seven days a week, that you just won't be able to hear them. But, um, and I'd love people's thoughts on this, one of the most serious stories with regards to cost of living has got to be baby formula and the cost of baby formula. And we were doing some work on this this morning, which I hope to come back to a little later on, but the price of baby formula has rocketed um, and uh, apparently so bad now that it is um, it is uh, a product on the black market that's changing hands, where you would have gangs robbing it, containers and containers of it, robbing it, breaking in and taking it, and then selling it uh, on the black market. Because the cost of baby formula has jumped from 1150 to 1750. And in some cases, another example like SMA powder, from 14 euro to 19 euro, which is a rise of 33%. And the story in the mirror this morning talks with different people, including uh, a mother who was talking on News Talk, who has two children, who says that one is only two and the other is only, um, hang on, one is just turning two and one is five months old. So both of them are on baby formula. Could you imagine the amount of money being spent on baby formula in a house that has two babies? I don't know if you'd have thoughts on that, actually, because I also did read somewhere a few days ago that parents um, are actually stealing baby formula in shops now. It, it, it's, not a, it's not a luxury item. It's a staple. It, it's a necessity. And for those that don't have it or can't afford 
particularly if they've a couple of children, uh, they're stealing it. Uh, it's interesting, actually, because uh, I'll, come back to, I'll come back to it later on. Some interesting notes here, because I was asking the lads this morning, was there ever a time when cow's milk was fine for babies as opposed to this, this formula business? But formula started, would you believe, back in the 1840s? And by 1865, they had pretty much nailed it down and it was being sold on the, uh, on the uh, open market as a replacement uh, for um, breast milk and what have you. And the rest is history. So your thoughts on the price of baby formula? Pick up the phone, text 0868104106. And just one or two more. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just so unacceptable that women who work on television primarily get the amount of grief that they do from people who are critical of them or say nasty things about them. I say this because the appearance of a man never, ever interests trolls. Um, I'm open to correction on that, but I don't really know of any... uh, I I can't imagine that the likes of Dahi O'Shea would get any grief about his hair. Uh, I can't imagine uh, that he would get any grief about the clothing that he wears or the suits or jackets and shirts, which are pristine. But why is it that Sinead Kennedy would... um, there's a story in The Sun this morning saying that she's quit social media, uh, particularly Facebook. She shut it down because you're being trolled by fans of, of the Daily Chat show, the Today show that she co-presents with, with Dahi. She says the comments about her appearance or criticism from viewers is difficult to deal with. She says everybody likes to be liked. You don't want people saying awful things about you. She says most people will be fine and nice, but the people that aren't then could come up and say, I didn't like your hair last week. Or they might say online on Facebook or whatever the case may be. I hate the way you laugh. Or then you get other people, usually women, actually, who are the meanest to other women, uh, criticising the jacket or the trousers or the hairstyle. But it would never, ever happen to a man. Um, And I just think that it is the height of cruelty and ignorance. And I, I just think it's shocking. She's talking to the RT guide where she says, I knew the only thing I could do was to control my response to it so I deleted Facebook because she, you know people love to say oh, I'm thick skinned it doesn't bother me but it does bother people and, and clearly it bothered her she says I don't if I don't ch- if I don't have it it's not going to change what people think or whoever thinks of me but I don't have to see it life is much better this way um, I know you put your headphones on I, I'm not sure that it's a topic that two men should be discussing but, but jump in anyway yeah the this only is, reason this <coughs> is women Trolling and abusing other women primarily. Yeah, and it's again like we, you know, we were saying about about appearance and that we don't have to really, as men, put up with it. But I just one of the things you would, I thought was interesting. You were saying that people are commenting on how somebody laughs and the sound of their voice. That that's been a big thing recently. As somebody who watches a lot of sport, you know, there's an increasing move to to bring more women into covering men's games. That you know, females should be at the front and center of broadcasting. I've men's seen games, them, and, which is and they're brilliant. great and they're they're superb. They yeah. know the stuff, but originally when they came in there was so much backlash to I don't like the sound of her voice her voice grates me her voice goes through and it's always her voice like there are so many male commentators that you listen to but them do people realise how stupid they are yeah. being how ignorant they are <laughs> how being how ignorant it is yeah and how wrong they are like it's not like there's male commentators out there that their voice go through but you never ever hear somebody saying oh Jonathan Pierce can't stand the sound of his voice or Royal Nugent I can't stand the sound but of his it, voice but it's always have, yeah, oh Joanna Cantwell I can't stand her voice or I can't it's always her voice her voice her. it's so stupid 
I could be half an hour ranting on about this, but on a load of different levels, it's so wrong. Yeah. Um, I think it's lovely that she's so honest that she says, you know, this hurts me, mm. uh, and it because it would hurt. Yeah, uh, I mean, if look, if I was standing up there, or we, I, you know, if you're doing the show and a video goes out on Facebook and you are wearing what you're wearing at the moment, like, and somebody says, oh, I don't like his shirt, or look at the state of him, look at the state of his hair, look at the state of that, that, that is. That's but people don't comment on men. They don't. No. But, if, but I wonder if there was... If but why is it so toxic to women? I think I think people just think they're easy targets. Let's find know? out what people it's think just, of it. Just, Text uh, 0868104106. Incidentally, uh, if your stress levels are going through the roof, um, there's a story in the mail this morning. It says that slipping into a hot bath with bubbles is fine, uh, but and settling down with a good book might be one of the ways that people cope when life gets a bit too much. But apparently, <laughs> apparently... Uh, best stress buster technique um, actually is um, sex three times a week it doesn't say in the mail whether it's with the same partner three times a week but I'm assuming that it is the number one talk show in Cork if it's happening in Cork Neil is talking about it the Neil Prendeville show on Red FM okay straight to the phone lines we go I was talking about the front page of the examiner this morning in the top right hand corner has a story from 66 South Mal where the deeds of 30 customers let me say although I don't know whether it's true or not 30 core customers their deeds have been destroyed by the bank. Something happened there during maintenance work at 66 and the deeds. I was just curious as to where does this leave them in law, you know, with regards to the deeds of 30 customers. Indeed, if you're one of them, I'd love to talk to you. Text 0868104106. But thankfully, Tim Bracken, barrister and author of Probate, the Probate Handbook, everything you need to do about wills and things like that. Um, barrister Bracken joins me by phone. Tim, good morning. Good morning, Neil. What, what happens next, though? That's the thing. It's, it's not as catastrophic as it may seem because um, a lot of title, now Neil, there's two ways of holding title in this country. There's what we call registered land and unregistered land. Registered land is uh, where you get a folio number, say folio 123 County Cork, and that'll say that Neil Prenderville is the owner of this property. It's a certificate. It's held by the land registry and you can get copies of that and if the original, or we call certificate of title, um, was issued by the land registry and lodged in the bank, that can be replaced by, you know, lodging the appropriate affidavits and making an application to the registrar for a duplicate certificate. Oh, right. Um, so that's easy. The other one then is what we call unregistered land. And other, unregistered land is where your title consists of a bunch of deeds. So you might have a deed of conveyance, say, from Tim Bracken to Neil Prenderville back in 1990 or whatever, you yeah. see, when you bought my house or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then prior to that was the deed when I bought it, say, from John Murphy. And then prior to that is the deed when John Murphy bought it from Catherine Brown or whatever. All the way back. All the, all the way back. So um, they, those deeds then are all put together and they're, they're held in the bank. I mean, the, the bank used to hold these as security I mean, because when, they, when there was a mortgage on it. So I would think that the titles are relatively up-to-date because there would be mortgages on them. Um, uh, that's why the bank were holding it. That's it. You, no, they wouldn't we, give them to you until the mortgage was paid. So they they wouldn't. wouldn't. That was it, you see. Yeah. And you wouldn't get them back until the mortgage was paid. Yeah. So I would think most of them would be that because most people, if they have deeds, they would have those in their solicitor's office for safekeeping. So it's what we call reconstituting the title when all the deeds are lost. Now, it can be an expensive procedure because you have to do searches going back maybe, you know, through all the previous owners we were talking about there. And that can be an expensive job. 
Um, but um, it, 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 it can be, they, yeah, titles can be reconstituted. It takes time but there's, and it takes there's no, effort. There's no original documents that just, that are very valuable that can't be replaced, are there? No, there are very few, very few, because if there's if there's a death in the title, for instance, a grant to probate, you'll always get the grant out. But like there, if there's a lease missing, that might cause problem because we have in this country, we've, uh, we had a history of long leasehold titles where a person um, got a lease for 999 years and then there were loads of terms and conditions in the lease. You paid a ground rent and um, the lease, you know, it was just to regulate the, the, the building of the lands and kind of the, the regulate maybe the, the layout of yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the buildings. But uh, like those, you really have to try and get your hands on that lease because that lease would have the terms and conditions and it may have certain restrictions in it. So, but that can be reconstituted because that lease may have been registered in what's called the Registry of Deeds. Because an unregistered title, the deeds are actually, this is where people, it becomes very confusing. Forget about the registered title where you get a certificate. But with the unregistered title, you actually register the deed. So therefore, when you buy from Tim Bracken to Neil Prenderful, then your solicitor would register that in what's called the Registry of Deeds. And it's a memorial or a kind of a synopsis of that deed is registered there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, And then you could do a search there and get proof that that existed. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, um, you, it can be done. Oh no, we uh, people are doing it all. Solicitors and barristers are doing it all the time, reconstituting deeds because they they get lost. But would the bank pick up the cost of all of this for the thirty Cork families? Well, it I, I I don't I don't like to make a judgment on that, Neil. You know, because there could be litigation about it. But um, well, I mean, if they lost them, they're responsible. That we might. Would it be a lot worse if it was a will, for instance? Do you think? Oh yeah, wills. If wills get lost, because then that's an original, unless there's a copy of it floating around, you see, then, then the, you, you can't prove the will. But it, it would be unlikely that it, there would be a will in the title documents. Yeah, People yeah. would keep their will safe because the bank wouldn't want your will if you're getting a loan or anything like that. Like banks don't don't secure wills safely, do they, in safes, no? That would be... I don't know. that. I, they, they, they may and they may not if they if it's a safety deposit box. But I think what this story is about are deeds which were lodged and held by the bank because it was a mortgage on the property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So therefore, I doubt if there'd be an original will in there. Yeah, yeah. Do, do we know, do, do wills ever get lost, I wonder? And oh, they, they do. St- they do yeah. But is there they chaos do. then when a will is lost? Well, no, there's a procedure whereby you can apply to the High Court if you have a copy to admit the copy to probate in lieu, in lieu of the original, which is lost, but there's a certain certain proofs. One of the main proofs is that the copy, the original was in existence subsequent to the death of the person. Because there's a presumption in law that when you die, and if the will is traced to your possession before your, di- your death and it can't be found, there's a presumption that you destroyed it with the, with the intention of revoking it. But if, for instance it was handed into the solicitor's office and then the solicitor posted it somewhere, you know, posted it to, say, the, the probate officers and then I got lost on the way and the solicitor can say, yes, I had the will subsequent to the death of the person. This is a copy of the will which I made. Well, then the High Court, um, you can make an application to have that copy yeah. admitted yeah. to probate. Yeah, 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 yeah. But and if- there are ways and means around a lot of things. There's very few things that are absolutely disastrous. Okay, okay. I'm glad to hear that because I was thinking that, that I was wondering was, you know, with 30 deeds missing, 
people would never be able to sell the property. What value would it put no, on they, the property? Uh, they, they, they would. I mean, you, but particularly there now when there was a mortgage property with AIB, um, you can you can start tracing back from there. Gotcha. Nice one. Thanks, Tim, as always. Thanks for taking the call Not at, at all, short okay, notice. Thanks, sir. Barrister right. Tim Bracken. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Text 0868104106. Just a few texts. I want to talk to James in one second, but from yesterday's program, we're talking to Lena, who's totally blind and is the guide dog Traxi and came a cropper on the Grand Parade on Thursday when another dog uh, attacked her and knocked her over and she was very, very badly hurt. Then Damien, who owns the dog in question, Belle, came on the air yesterday. He was very upset. Uh, morning, listen to your show. You've got to get a bunch of flowers, chocolates, and a few doggy treats up to Lena and Traxi. Bill me for them if you like. Uh, says Paul. Uh, welcome back. I'm so upset for poor Lena and her beautiful dog. I'm just so annoyed with the woman in charge of that horrible dog and the lack of discipline. I think we discovered yesterday that Damien was in buying coffee for himself and a girl and the girl was minding the dog and literally went into shock. Uh, Damien, who left his dog with a woman who wasn't able to handle it, it's his responsibility. The poor woman, it's a bit late now, uh, but he shouldn't be having a dangerous dog. He's not a dangerous dog, incidentally. Uh, it's an English bull terrier. Um, is the is on the restricted dogs list and is supposed to have a muzzle. But we discovered yesterday that Damien said that Bell was an old English bulldog, and that's not on the restricted breeds list. I'm told um, the man should not get rid of Bell. Damien was saying yesterday he was contemplating putting the dog down, and he's a, that dog is a really important part of his life and brought him back from illness. Um, Kathleen says he should not get rid of Belle the dog. The dog looked after him in his most needy hours, Kathleen. And many people agree with that. Don't put the animal down for a mistake. That will end your life, Damien. As the owner has come forward and is so upset, it changes the situation, doesn't it? I'm happy that man, Damien, is in touch with you and will be in touch with Lena too. I thank him. I hope things work out for all concerned. Lena may be at mass and I wish her a full recovery. But also to the owner, Damien, I want to say... Not do not have the dog put down. Um, that's from Margaret. One or two others here. Please don't put Bell down. A really strong harness will help. I have a sheep dog as strong as an ox, but having a good restraint is very important. Uh, dogs on a, another person says dogs on a lead cannot run away if under pressure, so they're more defensive because they're on the lead. Also, a play bite from a bulldog or a similar dog can be a death grip to a small dog. And just one final one. It's sad to hear that a dog who was doing his job helping the blind lady was attacked by another dog. It's not the other dog's fault, though. Uh, it's always the owner's fault. Every dog should be socialized properly and trained not to react to traffic, a person or a dog. Giving her food is a silly thing to do in public as a dog can attack if it feels another dog might take their food Again, down to lack of training. Uh, I wonder why this dog has no teeth. Is it a very old dog? Every owner knows their dog and what they're capable of. So I'm guessing it may not be the first time that Belle has done something like this. But putting the dog down would be cruel. It's not the dog's fault. Uh, That poor other dog probably needs some retraining now, as being attacked has put the fear into the guide dog. I had a rescue dog who was attacked for no reason. And all the professional training you had to get him over, all of his fears and his anxiety went out the window. Um, then our walks were always fear after the attack when he would see an other dog. Somebody's saying by text that in spite of all sorts of training and professional training to get over fear and anxiety, 
didn't help the dog. So thank you for those texts. Uh, appreciate it. And I hope that Leela is listening to everybody's good wishes. To the phone lines we go. James, good morning. Morning, how are you? Thanks for holding. I know I know you've been there a while. You're a farming background originally, were you? Oh well I was born on a farm, yeah. Okay. And what was what I was the farm? Was it dairy? Was it beef? Did mixed. it grow? Was mixed. Old style mixed West of Ireland. Growing vegetables? We we were self sufficient, yes. And uh, we would have killed the pigs, say, have chickens, all that kind of thing. And was this for yourselves or was it for sale? Oh, no, for ourselves. Okay, okay. So what did the farm grow to sell? It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have sold. It was self-sufficient. That was the point. It wasn't buying. Ah, okay, okay. So you were of a, of a, of a, of a family and of an age that grew everything for your own table. To a great degree, yeah. Most most food comes through the back door. Yeah. Most food. Okay. But what I can't understand is what's happening now, where they're actually closing. And even on on, I think it, I don't know, one of the programs last night they were talking about the climate change and and wetting the bogs and all the rest. But the Dutch farmers are are having a terrible time. They're being compelled to sell their land. And why should that the, bother us? Well, that I mean, it's going to it's going to increase the price of food, I guess. For a start, because I mean they're competing with what's coming from South America. So, like I mean, it's control. There, there, three thousand of them are compelled to sell their farm. Why? And reduce emissions. Reduce emissions. Now this would be methane down. emissions from cows. Yes. Yeah. But this, like the cows, aren't the biggest emission damagers. In the recent uh, returns from from one of the energy departments, the second biggest polluter in Ireland at the moment are the uh, electric uh, generating stations. Okay. To generate power to yeah. give to uh, electric vehicles. So things just don't add up. That's my point. Things just don't add up. So we've got massive emissions and pollution problems from energy generators, and that energy that's been generated and causing all the pollution is being used to power electric cars. Doesn't match. No, it doesn't. Doesn't doesn't add up, does it? And Holland Holland then is one of the major food producers, particularly of fruit and veg, and we buy from them, right? Second biggest in the world, it's the nearest to us, because other than Holland, you're competing with probably America, South America, California, places like that. So, like, I mean, that doesn't make sense either. Like, they talk about climate change. The hottest day in the last 200 years in Ireland was in the, 18, in the 1880s. Like, I mean, what is the... I don't see the proof here. We I mean, seem to be getting... We seem to be con- getting consistently hotter stretches of weather, though. But again, I don't think um, statistics back that up because there's been troughs and lows all the time. The lowest temperature was 150 years ago as well. You see, I don't. I I, mean, I, I, I'd have to take your word for it for now that you're saying that the hottest day on record was in the 1800s. I would have thought that it would have been in the last 10 years. No, in uh, at Kincast, I think 33.3 degrees in 1881 or 1887. I forget which which particular in in Ireland. Yeah. And the coldest day was in one or other, 81 or 87, in Ireland as well at Marquee Castle. The, high, the, the highest recorded temperature ever recorded in the Republic of Ireland was at Kilkenny Castle in 1887 when it hit 33.3 yeah. degrees Celsius. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So like we, we had, I think, 1976, then the next highest was recorded, which is what, nearly 50 years ago? That was a crazy hot summer, I remember. The lowest temperature ever recorded in Ireland was in January of 1881 
when yeah. the temperature in Ireland went down on that day in Macri Castle to minus 19.1 degrees Celsius. Yes. So, like, I mean, you know, I don't know if we're getting the full picture here. You don't believe in climate warming, do you? I believe there are changes, but like the water uh, levels in Australia, say, for instance, and other places around the world have not changed. I mean, why do some of the richest people and some of the drivers of this climate change go and buy beachfront apartments and spend millions on them if they're going to be covered by water? But the sea levels are rising, the polar ice caps are melting, people living in coastal areas where they have homes and properties are being warned that in 5, 10, 15, 20 years they're going to fall into the sea. Why are the banks uh, advancing huge amounts of money for people to build those seaside our seaside apartments and villas. Because they don't care when they fall into the sea as long as they've got their money, that's why. Yeah, but there's lots of people there that aren't stupid either. They're not going to build there. Okay. They're just okay. not going to build there. All right. I, I then just, why I do we have a story in the Examiner this morning that says 42,000 species that we share the planet with are now threatened by mankind? Who counted them first? What do you mean? What, like this, like I mean, where, where, that is, this is factual research from the Queen's University in Belfast, where 48% of species declining towards extinction now, 48% of them. But like that is compared to when? What does it matter you know what I mean? when? It's now. Well, of course it does. That will tell you the rate they're declining now. There may be other reasons. Of course, climate may be part of it, but there may be other reasons. I mean, I just don't think we're getting the full story. That's that's my point. Like, I mean, I'm not I'm not nuts or whatever. But I just but there would have been a time when those forty two thousand species that are now being threatened were thriving, but yet we, of course, are massive polluters because of our insatiable appetite for things, um, and well, and and the consequences is that is for other species who can't defend themselves against man. Well, food is the second biggest polluter, isn't it? Yeah, waste of food waste. Food waste is the second biggest polluter. But no, it's back to the thing, like, I mean, why you? I think you started off this by asking, why are Irish farmers stopping? Why did vegetables? we import 65,000 tonnes of apples last year, 38,500 tonnes of onions, 25,000 tonnes of cabbage, 20,000 tonnes of carrots, and 75,000 tonnes of potatoes in 2020? I mean, why aren't we growing it? I think it's it? too expensive. I think it's too expensive to produce in Ireland, for a start. It's too expensive to produce. One percent of Irish farms quality. are now growing vegetables. One percent. I would say at the most, yes. Like I mean, at the most. And I mean, we also have a problem with soil here. Like where the soil in Holland is much more uh, productive and it's much richer, and in other places around the world, that's why they can produce so much. But like I mean, if we're going to cut those out, like I said, by starting with the farms, you don't know what's going to happen next. I just don't know. I, I think the whole agenda is a little bit strange. Like when when uh, people sort of aren't given the full information that they deserve. It's very easy to, to twist figures. Well, I can only deal with the research that's coming out of Queen's University. I can only deal with the research that shows what, we've, what yeah, we're importing from what we used to actually grow ourselves. They say that farms aren't big enough. They'd have to be enormous, massive, big farming projects to be able to compete with South America or Holland, for instance, or Africa. The scale. Well, we can't com- we, South America can't compete with us quality-wise. We don't know what we're getting from South America. No, and by the time it gets here, the condition of it. Yeah. Can I can I just mention it before I let you go? Six of the warmest days, six of the warmest ten years in Ireland ever, six of the warmest ten years in Ireland ever occurred in the 19, uh, 1990s. And they're putting that down to, in 1990 alone, six of the warmest, does that make sense? T- six of the warmest ten years in Ireland occurred in 1990. I think that... 
since 1990. So since 1990, things are getting hotter and hotter. That's 30 years ago. It hasn't happened since. I just don't know. I, like, I mean, when you look at the figures, I just don't know. I, I, I find it hard to... I, I think there's been peaks and troughs all through whatever number of years this, this planet is there. There's been highs and lows. But how consistent they are or how serious it is, I don't think we get the full picture. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. All right, let's get other people's thoughts on it. Thanks for yours, James. Text 0868-104-106. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Okay, in spite of all of that, what is happening is that uh, the new spuds are arriving and I got a big, I must take a photograph of it later, a big basket hamper from Garden Goodness again this year and it arrived yesterday afternoon and the quality of them will be fantastic and I'll give them a rattle tonight, steam them up. Uh, with a can of baked beans and two fried eggs. But a lovely email came with him from Michael and all of the lads at Garden Goodness in Douglas. He says, um, brilliant to be discussing the importance of supplying fresh, locally grown produce because a lot of local farmers are shutting up shop now, unfortunately. And this now is from the horse's mouth, if you like, at Garden Goodness. They'll know. Um, they, said, they tell me by email that one of our farmers, John Toomey, has stopped growing veg this year. We've been dealing with the Toomeys for 45 years, and we take this opportunity, please, to say a sincere thank you to them. It's the multiples, the big supermarket chains, are squeezing the small farmers out of the market with below-cost selling. Um, that that means, without mansplaining it, that it just doesn't pay farmers now to grow things anymore because they can't get a profit margin from the supermarkets. We are very fortunate, though, to have some great local farmers like Colm O'Regan, Dennis O'Connor, Eamon Crean, John Griffin. They're outstanding people who deserve to be supported. Um, in other news, the new season potatoes are in. They're grown by Richard Williams in Castletown Roach. The quality is excellent. All you need is the butter, the salt and your beans and a couple of fried eggs. <laughs> the Waterford strawberries have also arrived and they're absolutely delicious and they sent me some punnets of those as well. Thanks for all your support through the years. There's no need to be thanking me. It's I should be thanking you for this wonderful gift because every year I, I always mark the absolute start of summer when the new potatoes arrive from Garden Goodness in Douglas. Go in there yourself and check them out and get your hands on them. Incidentally, can I just mention this? Because there is a man called John who is looking for a little bit of help. It's quite a short email, but here it is nonetheless. I am desperately looking for advice from your listeners, especially any fathers of the bride. My daughter is getting married this summer and it's my first time undertaking father of the bride duties. I'm prepared for walking my daughter down the aisle, but now I've found out that my duties include picking a song to be played for the father of the bride dance. Does anyone have any advice what song we could dance to? I'm assuming that you're okay with the the speechifying part of it, if you're listening, because I can get a professional speechwriter who writes speeches for weddings to help you out in that regard. Um, But the other duties include, you know, you know, walking, that's a wonderful thing actually I'd imagine, you've no problem with walking your bride down the aisle, that'll be fantastic but the problem now is picking a song to be played for a father of the bride dance so let me put that out to you lads what song would work 
for dad and daughter as the father of the bride dance because he's having sleepless nights over it. Text 0868104106. I'd love to know what your father of the bride song was. So get involved in that conversation and we can pick it up after that. Uh, just a fast call this side of uh, 10. I think I went to WhatsApp for this one. Amy, good morning. Can you hear me? Hey, all right? how are you doing? There man? you go. There's a little bit of a delay. Are you overseas or where are you? Yeah. No, no, I'm I'm in the background. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So I won't interrupt you. You you wanted to pick up on food waste and packaging. Yeah, like the um, you know it's it's all after changing. So for example, you go to buy a, a a bag of oranges now that are in the the net packaging. The like two of those could be half rotten or you know going going a bit sour. So immediately there's one to two are automatically getting dumped when you get home anyway. There could be you know ten or twelve oranges in the bag, and by the time you know you, you get through them, there's half of them gone off by the end of the week. So there, there's no more you know free packaging or you know things that that aren't packaged that you can just pick up. Yes, okay, there's. You know, some of the oranges are, are there, but they're not the child-friendly ones. They're the big, massive, chunky ones that kids can't peel themselves. So it's, you know, a lot of the food waste is down to how the food is, is packaged now. You know, you're not alone in that. I, I've had similar situations with strawberries and with blueberries and also um, with the odd orange, where particularly the smaller ones, would you get in a net? Um, is it that they're so old that a few of them have started to rot and this is on the day that you buy them. Yeah, the, the, the day, yeah, I mean, you, you could get home exactly, I found that with strawberries. I've stopped buying strawberries for, for that exact reason and raspberries, you get home and, and there's some of them rotten in the package where again, like if you look back in the 60s and 70s, you'd go down to the market and, and you're, you're freehand picking them out of a basket. So, you know, you're able to pick ones that, that look good and look ripe. And, you know, again, there is some green grocers and stuff out there, but, you know, they're few and far between now. Yeah, I wonder, is it that they don't want people handling and pawing fruit and veg? Possibly, but what's what's the other option? Food waste and having to throw away stuff that are already rotten by the time you get home. Yeah, I think that that's the problem, though, because it's coming from so far across the globe that by the time it gets here, it's... Not tasteless, but it's not far off at a lot of the time, you know. Yeah, you're you're not you're not going to be eating stuff that, that looks like it's about to turn. You're especially not going to be giving it to your children. True enough. Same thing actually can happen with bags of potatoes. Got a big bag of potatoes there a couple of months ago, and unfortunately, it was one of the ones that you can't see through. You know the paper ones, um, and they were rotting inside in the bag. Yes. Okay, okay. All right, mm-hmm. I'll, leave yeah. it, I'll leave it at that because yeah. there's a long time delay, but thanks for your call. Appreciate it, Amy, uh, by WhatsApp. Text 0868104106 and we'll pick it up after 10. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Somebody says, please stop lying. This is not the first country to ban post notices and stopping adverts pertaining to alcohol and tobacco on television and in magazines. It's in the United States. Do your homework. Well, I try and do the best homework I can, but I never actually said we were the first country to put an embargo on advertising at 9pm. I never said that. I was saying that we will do it at 9pm 
and it will happen um, and the legislation will be brought before the doll. Uh, the part that I was talking about as being a first had to do with the smoking ban and many other countries covered, uh, followed it and also now putting all of these very strong warnings on um, alcohol bottles and cans. Um, that's what I was saying. So two different topics entirely. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Brand new podcast starts after 11 o'clock this morning. It's called You Couldn't Make This Up. Uh, it'll run over the next uh, six days, and we have put quite an amount of effort and work into it over the past few months, and I hope you will find it interesting. So the first episode, just after 11 this morning, of You Couldn't Make This Up. Meanwhile, in weather-related stories, uh, Carew's Wood Garden Centre and Cafe down in Castle Martyr is a great place to check out, particularly with the beautiful weather. If you want to get things for the garden or, you know, it might be outside furniture or it might be a new barbecue, whatever the case may be, they have it all there. And they've got a beautiful cafe there as well with uh, locally sourced organic artisan produce and one of the best garden centres, husband and wife team, Daniel, and uh, I hope I'm pronouncing her, her name right, Julika. Uh, but every day this week we have four winners every day. We'll win a 50 euro voucher each for Carewswood Garden Centre and Cafe in Castle Martyr. And then on Friday, a super deluxe Weber Genesis gas grill barbecue. It really is a humdinger. If you were to buy this, it would cost you 1,900 euro. We're giving it away uh, on Friday. So it's a great place for plants uh, and shrubs and flowers and the playgrounds and for a picnic, uh, for the green-fingered, or, you know, if you just want to get down for a bit of lunch at the weekend, or whatever the case may be. So every day this week, in order to qualify for one of our prizes, you need to identify a famous person behind the barbecue. Yesterday, it was Dolly Parton. Who will it be today? Don't call just yet. Just have a listen. Now, the thing is, there's some people out there who are brilliant cooks. So, of course, I'm highly embarrassed to be telling you how to do this. So you can just have a laugh. Just sit back and have a laugh. Right. Of a vague kind of Liverpudlian idea as to who that is, but um, I can't say that I'm convinced. Now, the thing is, there's some people out there who are brilliant cooks, so of course I'm highly embarrassed to be telling you how to do this, so you can just have a laugh, just sit back and have a laugh. Okay, all right. How about you? Are you the same, kind of 90% sure, or maybe you're 100%? Anyway, I'll play it another couple of times between now and midday today. Morning, you're talking about the wonderful weather in Ireland. I'm in Malaga and we've had one day of sun in the last week. Oh my God, talking about back in the wrong horse. Sorry about that. You must be absolutely livid that the weather back here is better uh, than Malaga. Um, I remember growing up in the 70s as a kid and I can remember long, hot summers. So that's another person who says, hang on a second, you know, like I, I remember very hot summers in the past. This is nothing new. Neil, 25 species go extinct every day, regardless of our interference. Why don't you read a book? <laughs> Thank you for that. 25 species uh, extinct every single day. Um, that's a lot, though, isn't it? It really is. Species have always come and gone on this planet. Uh, remember, before humans, there were dinosaurs. Extinction is part of nature, says Paddy. Well, that's interesting because sooner or later, we'll be on the extinction list then, won't we? Uh, hello, and by the way, Neil, the young people who are complaining about the planet are the very ones who are actually polluting it most They can't boil an egg and are too lazy to cook, so they call Deliveroo and get the plastic containers and the plastic bottles. And they have the cheek 
to blame pensioners. It's an interesting perspective on it. I wanted to more then regarding you talking about the meta fine this morning, 1.2 billion, uh, the parent company of Facebook. I know it should be used 100 different ways, the 1.2 billion windfall. But my opinion is the government should use it to build one to two bed bedroom studio apartments across the country where the biggest cluster of housing issues are. At least it would tick half a box of one problem which affects so many people. Uh, yeah, you could roll that out and say the 1.2 billion should just be put to building homes for people. Um, and also the cost this morning, I was talking about a baby formula. Baby formula is not recommended after 12 months. I empathize with people about the increased cost. An almost two-year-old should be having full fat cow's milk, not formula like you were talking earlier, except maybe for medical reasons. And that is the HSC guideline. So you're saying to me that baby formula should be stopped after after 12 months. Cow's milk, you were asking, cow's milk is for young calves. Goat's milk is for their kids. Horse milk is for their foals. And human milk is for their babies. But no, we exploit all other animals as per norm. There's nothing humane about the human race, you know. That's the reason 42,000 species are facing extinction. Greed, greed, greed. One final one for now. In reply to your item earlier on the price of baby formula, I don't understand why a two-year-old should still be on baby formula. I know it's probably convenient, but these nutrients can be provided with a balanced diet and water, says Angela in Balancholic. And I have many more, which I will come back to. Get involved in those conversations. Text 0868104106. I want to catch up with uh, Regina. Well, I cannot catch up. I just want to share her story with her. Regina, good morning. Hi Neil, how are you? I'm grand. Your mum's in St. Finbar's Hospital since March, is it? Yeah, since 15th of March. And she has rapid oh. form of motor neuron disease. Yeah. So have you seen a big change in her since March? Um, yeah, gosh, I didn't want that go in the air. But um, yeah, we've seen a huge deterioration. Okay, my apologies for that. I, I just have it here in front of me. I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, no problem, no okay. problem. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she went in for um, rehab. But unfortunately, things didn't work out the way we thought, and um, she won't be coming home. Unfortunately. Oh, so what is yeah. the, what is the, what is the best case scenario then if she's not going to come home? The best case scenario, I suppose, is that we um, we find uh, you know residential, long term residential care for her, uh, where she'll be cared for, basically, um, because she will need. Uh, full time, twenty-four hour, two-person minimum care. I know. To be honest, I know. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's the best case scenario. But yeah. my my issue really is that she's been in since March fifteenth, and obviously, you know, that we weren't able to visit for the first six weeks because of COVID, which we accepted. But I thought there had been sort of you know um, new guidelines with regard to that anyway when people were in long term stay. But we didn't put up an argument with that. Now, for the last four weeks, uh, we've been allowed to visit. Now, you must take on board that this is a rehab unit where the patients aren't unwell. You know, I mean, they're not, they don't require a lot of medical intervention, so to speak. You know, they get a little bit of physio in the morning. um, You know, the OT comes and visits, the doctor might come in once a week, whatever. So then visiting hours are restricted to 5 to 7.30 in the evening. So, like, 
I mean, 5 to 7.30 in the evening, to me, is the busiest time of the day for most people. They're coming home from work. I suppose they that say 5 to 7.30 as well because people have maybe finished work. Mm, well, maybe, but I think there should be an alternative, Neil, like, to be honest, you know. I mean, 5 to 7.30 is just, you know, that either suits or it doesn't. Yeah. And, as I said, a lot of these patients are just sitting there all day. Yeah. But now, I absolutely totally accept that visiting in the morning is not ideal because, you know, the doctors are doing their rounds, the physio is going on. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of activity, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But from lunchtime, which is like quarter past 12 in hospital, as you know, uh, once they finish their lunch, there are no visitors then until five at the earliest. Did there used to so be two different visiting times? Always, always. And... I telephoned the HSE and I telephoned St. Finbars and apparently it's up to each unit and each hospital to determine their own visiting Well, hours. that is true. That was the, the guidelines that were issued when they were relaxing regulations in hospitals, that it was down to the hospital yeah. themselves. Yeah. Yeah, but like this doesn't seem to be COVID-related. There seems to be just, it suits them. It suits them, yeah. Neil. Yeah. And you have people sitting in armchairs or in bed without any form of stimulation from lunchtime on. But you if know, it's not COVID, if it's not COVID related, um, it's not. But what's, it's not what's, nice. what's the COVID reason? It suits them. That's the reason. I mean, I'll give you an example. Now, my brother came from Dublin uh, Sunday. He's living in Dublin, young family, you know, I mean, took the trip down Sunday to go and see mum. Had to go back up on Monday because he's working, he has to earn a living. And I happened to be calling um, to speak with the doctor on Monday morning to speak, you know, kind of with regard to mum. Yeah, yeah. And I asked, you know, would it be possible that he could pop over even for five minutes before he left for Dublin it, just to see her before he left? Because she is very unwell. Yeah. Um, and I was told, no, visiting hours are 5 to 7.30. That's an awful shame they couldn't make an exception for that circumstance. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, as I said, like 5 to 7.30, the traffic is at its worst, you know, apart from the early morning rush. Uh, people are coming in from work. Secondary school kids are coming from school. You know, there's dinners to be done, homework to be done. Like, it just doesn't work for everyone. Most of the patients in there are elderly. Yeah. So a lot of their friends and family are also elderly. What are the other hospitals like, I wonder, besides the Mercy? I mean, what's the CUH like or, you know, the Bonds know. or places like that? Oh, you're, sorry, well, besides the South Infirmary. There was always an afternoon. Now, up to last weekend, they had introduced um, a two to four visiting hours at the weekend, but now they've cancelled that. They just cancelled it? They just cancelled it. That's it. There's no more visiting now um, between two and four. And does your mum say it to you? Like, is she upset by the fact that she's got the whole day? Well, yeah, she is because she's, I'm here on my own. They're not doing anything for me. She can't do anything. And that's understandable. And I get over all that side of it. But I mean, and we're not the kind of family that we go up lock, stock and smoke in barrel and we're there camped out for the day. Yeah. You know, but I mean, it certainly would be nice if I could call in the afternoon and if one of my other siblings was available in the evening. In the evening, yeah. We'd keep her alert and happy and meeting family across the day, yeah. yeah, Sitting there, Neil. I mean, that's not good for anybody's mental health. Now, she's fully, she's complimentous. I mean, you know, she's absolutely, totally with it. But, like, she has no stimulation. Like, the television's on or she... Now, 
she has an iPad, but unfortunately, she's finding it difficult even to, uh, to use. Well, the that motor now. neurons would impede mm. that. Yeah, it would be yeah, difficult. You know, so, I mean, yeah, you know, and yeah. and she can't use the telephone. So if she wants to telephone one of us, she has to get somebody to come in and take her phone or telephone. Like, How's she coping? How's she coping though? Does she does she know not that well. she no? Does she know not she's well. not going home? She now realizes it. Like she, I mean, mom has been fighting for four years. She actually had a misdiagnosis initially. Okay, so um, you know she's been fighting, 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 and she went downhill last October. She was put into um, the St Francis's unit up in the orthopedic, which was superb. Again. There were outbreaks of COVID, and we understood. Yeah. But then, as soon as COVID was gone, we were allowed to visit during the day. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. No, and just, you know? just the reason I asked that is, I think it must be one of the saddest things for an individual to have to oh, go through, yeah. knowing that so as their health is declining, you know, and in this case with your mom, that that like it may happen to. And her could I, can't be with her. No, I'm not, not not that point. I'm saying about leaving the family home and 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 oh, that realization yes. that you know what, I'm not going back home. That must exactly. be very, very hard to... That has only just dawned on her, really, you know, I mean, within the last week, you know. We've known for a while and, you know, she was told and she just sort of, like, mum is a great fighter. She's very independent, very determined. And she thought she could, you know, out on this bloody, unfortunate disease that she, she could outrun it, with, she, you know. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, now she's come to realise that it isn't possible. So she's extremely down. She's extremely down. And, she's, you know, she's crying. She's agitated. She's anxious. She wants and to be at home amongst her wants, things and her memories. Yeah, ex- exactly. And un- unfortunately, that isn't possible. And like the consultants have said and told her, it isn't possible. So, you know, uh, the next step, obviously, is residential yeah, care. Yeah, I know, yeah. She yeah. demands so much care and attention that, unfortunately, you know, it's going to be a very exceptional uh, residential unit that will take mum. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. because she'll require so much care. So, until that happens, she's where she is. And as I said, that's her visiting hour. She's sitting there all day. She's agitated. She's anxious. You know, she's a little bit better, at least when one of the family is Yeah, better. I know. Family makes you know, a difference. Yeah. yeah, like she can't, you know, I mean, even feeding herself is problematic now. So, you know, if even if one, one of us were there for tea time, you know, we could help. But, to, but the food doesn't go uneaten when you're not there, no? Well, you see, we don't know because we can't get in. That, that would be. I mean, I'd be. I'd be hoping that there, that she's assisted with food, food and yeah. No, no. I mean, look. You know, no, Neil. Um, you know, there are things I could say, and I don't want to say All on right. the air. So, yeah, yeah, okay. you know, but look, I just feel that there should be some way of, you know, ensuring that people aren't left on their own until like five, six in the evening. And as I said, a lot of her friends and family are elderly as well. They, they can't be coming out at that hour of the evening, you know. Like, I know, good points, well made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. I, I bet, mean, I bet there will be other people sharing their own stories with regards to loved ones in hospitals. But thank you for sharing yours, Regina, and uh, and kind regards to you and to your mum. All right, thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Neil. Text 0868104106. Back after the break, calls on the way. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. 
Red FM. Okay, um, Rio Sullivan standing by two seconds ahead of that because uh, a lot of other texts coming in on the state of our fruit and veg. Can't come on the air, but I'm glad you enjoyed your feed of new spuds. Uh, how can you justify a bag at seven euro per kilo? Not many people could afford this, especially families, says Sean. Another one, this one, this text actually comes with a photograph from somebody who says, you know, with regards to particularly rotting fruit, you buy a punnet of strawberries or blueberries and you find that when you get the home, they're actually starting to rot or they rot after 24 hours. This person says, I take mine straight out of all of the packaging. Do not wash till I use them, but I put them in an airtight glass jar and they last the whole week. And there are the strawberries inside in the jar. You also have to wonder about the amount of of packaging that actually goes into much of what we buy. You take it out of the packaging. Uh, and I, I understand the whole area of transportation, keeping food clean and what have you. And then the deeds that went missing in the ARB, you should always have a copy of your deeds of the house. Will the bank cover the cost if they lose them? If deeds are held in safekeeping, then other valuable items like a will might be with them. Staff are not even aware of the real contents of safekeeping. I thought all safekeeping was returned to the customer to make alternative arrangements. Deeds are easy to replace. Title documents more difficult. It could cost you five grand. And then with regards to women or females criticising females, this is to do with an article regarding Sinead Kennedy from the Today Show who's come off uh, Facebook because she just can't deal with the abuse. I had the exciting opportunity to be in the audience of Winning Streak a few years back when my brother was a contestant, uh, Sinead Kennedy is a beautiful, glamorous lady with a fabulous personality. The brother did well. It was a massive experience, says Eilish in Waterford. Well, also, I read a, an interview recently with, um, um, I think, Marty Whelan is in this month's RSVP. And uh, he says he's no, he's no interest in presenting the Late Late Show. All he wants is winning streak back. <laughs> Another one here from Richie says, men don't face the same criticism as women, you say. Uh, perhaps, but let, let's consider such distinctive looking world leaders as Angela Merkel, Jacinta Arden, and Theresa May. Did any single one of these female leaders, or indeed all of them combined, face a fraction of the criticism for their physical appearance that President Donald Trump did, says Richie in Toker. Excellent point. And one final one. I watch the Today Show every day with Dahi, Mora and Sinead. I love them all. And I think they all dress lovely. I loved Sinead's dress yesterday. She's a beautiful girl and I love them all, says June. So thank you for all those texts. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. Earlier this morning, I spoke up the cost of everything. Uh, you know, energy prices have dropped by over 50% in the last 12 months from the high of maybe April of last year. But yet our energy costs have gone through the roof. Don't even talk about supermarket shopping in general. Everything has gone up. And one of the items that I touched on is the price of baby formula. It has rocketed by over half. It is now part of the black market economy where gangs and hustlers are robbing it and then selling it. Uh, And on top of that, apparently, there was an article recently that said uh, many parents that are close to the border are now buying baby formula on the other side of the border in the north. But others then, as the story from the UK... Um, where unfortunately parents who just don't have the money are stealing it in supermarkets. Uh, you're looking at the cost of maybe, uh, as one example, uh, SMA was €14, Euro, now €19 Euro, uh, for um, the powdered milk substitute, a rise of 33%. Rio Sullivan is from breastfeedingcork.ie and joins me by phone. Maria, good morning. Hi, good you, morning. You, you would think that, the, uh, of course, this is a staple. It is not a luxury, right? 
Yes, absolutely. It's shocking. It's shocking to hear the actual um, price hike in it. Like, it's just really crazy. It's, it's you know, it's really putting babies' um, health in danger as well. There's no, there's no alternative for a child under 12 months, is there? No. Uh, well, usually babies will wean around six months and continue either to breastfeed uh, with adding um, solids or formula feed and add solids. But there, no, there wouldn't be any alternative up to 12 months. But you don't need to change from stage one formula to follow on formula at six months either. And that's, that's, that's you know, part of the problem as well, the follow on formula. Why? Is that dearer or something? Uh, I'm, I'm probably is dearer. I'm not 100% sure now on the economics of it. But, you know, it's the one that's heavily marketed because um, you can market to parents uh, under six months or while pregnant. Uh, formula companies can't. Mm. So basically, follow-on formula was invented for marketing and commercialization. And can you stand um, over that claim? Can I stand over that claim? You know, that you said it's, it's just a marketing ploy. It's not a necessary product. Oh yes, there's there's a huge amount of research out there that it is like I mean, how how they um, how they advertise, and like babies babies don't need follow on formula after a year. They they can they can go straight on cow's milk or goat's milk. Or but they can't milk. start out on that. I mean, I, I don't mean to no, sound stupid, can't. but you no, can't. No, no. why not. why is why is that? Because it doesn't uh, like um, cow's milk. Well, basically, cow's milk is from cows, so it's for growing baby calves. Like really. Um, and human milk is for growing humans. Um, it doesn't. The, the cow's milk uh, doesn't have the nutritional value, yes, is it? Exactly. Yeah. Yes, it doesn't have the nutritional value, or or what a baby needs to grow. So when the um, formula came along, right, um, mm-hmm. and it, and they started trying to develop it back in the eighteen forties, fifties, and sixties, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and then it kind of exploded in the in the nineteen hundreds and what have you. Um, it was either formula or breast milk, but before that. There was only breast milk, was it? Um, I would think so. I'm sure that uh, you're you're asking me now to go into the history of it, which I, you know, yeah. way back in the day. Um, but yeah, breast like I mean, breastfeeding would have been would have been the norm, um, and it was kind of then you know kind of late sixties, seventies as as births became more medicalized, feeding became more medicalized because they you know they were looking more at the the scientific language um, that was being used um, and formula companies. Like, I mean, formula is basically a, sci- a scientific word. Formula, it's formula. It's a formula, yeah. And wasn't, yeah. Was there, wasn't there a lot of marketing and advertising saying that formula was better uh, than, yes. than breast milk, yeah. wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, better and easier and obviously giving mothers more freedom and... Um, you know, obviously as well with um, um, the liberation of women um, in the 60s, it, it was marketed towards people that wanted to work as well. But you can go back to work and continue to breastfeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they came up with these perfect reasons as to why yes. formula was, was better. Not everybody can breastfeed, though, sure no. No, not everybody can breastfeed, but everybody can be educated about breastfeeding and make an informed decision whether they want to breastfeed or they don't want to breastfeed. Mm, mm. Uh, formula has become the, the cultural norm in Ireland. You know, we're one of the biggest exporters as well. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a conflict there with promoting breastfeeding and uh, not promoting formula. 
And tell me this, how are we how are we performing on the international breastfeeding league table? Well, our breastfeeding um, starting rates would start at, like, so that would be the initiation of breastfeeding from the baby's birth. And that first breastfeed is around 60% before Six. day three. Yeah, by day three, though, it's it's gone down about to 30, 30%. Oh, my God. Let me, let me just revisit that. You're saying for the first three days of baby, the breastfeeding rate is 60%, but after three days of the baby on the planet, it drops by half. Yes. Why? Yeah. 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 Well, it's, there's there's a lot there. Like you know, I mentioned the medicalization of birth because, like, like the birth impacts on the on feeding. So, like, if you've had a traumatic birth, it's going to be harder to get breastfeeding off to a good start, and for you to be emotionally and physically able to breastfeed. Oh, so, well. a proportion so, of that would be women who tried but just can't get to can't make it work, um, but. Are, are, you know, it goes from 60% to 30% within three days. Are, are women being discouraged from breastfeeding? No, I don't think they're being discouraged. I just think there's barriers there. You know, there's like, you know, and we were talking there uh, a while back about, you know, um, rates of induction. There's like, there's high rates of induction at the moment. So like that, like if a baby's born at 38 weeks, they're not going to feed as well as a baby that was born at 40 weeks. Because... They're not meant to be here for another two weeks, yeah, and yeah. their their sucking skills aren't going to be as as um, as good as a baby at forty weeks. So they'll need a lot more support. And like you know, our our hospitals are are very busy, and our midwives still run off their feet. But what are hospitals? What are mo- hospitals advising women with new babies to do? Breast yeah. or formula? Well, I mean, it's up to the woman. Uh, like, the hospital is there to give the mother the, the correct information and uh, so to allow them to make an informed decision. Yeah, yeah. But most women know if they want to breastfeed before they they go into hospital, like, they prepare. Like, I have a mum coming to me antenatally um, in my clinic or, um, you know, online. I do online consultations antenatally to prepare them for breastfeeding. I say if a mum... Was uh, had type one di- diabetes, you know, something like that. Yeah. I would be able to prepare her with what the risks maybe um, or what may you know hinder her at the start and how to get breastfeeding off to a good start and to make her aware of you know because of if, if she has a medical condition that it, it, it may take a couple of days for her milk to come in, what she can do to um, to work through that in the meantime, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, things like that. You know, when you have information, you have power. But if you don't have the information, you you know, you, you can't make um, an informed decision. So the statistic for breastfeeding in Ireland, is it 30%? Uh, uh, like from, from about day three, and, and then it will drop again. And by six months, I think it's about 6%. Wow, isn't that very low? Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, you see, we, we need to start educating our young people about... Um, 6% of babies in Ireland are exclusively breastfed um, at, six at six months. 6%. Yeah. About that, yeah. I wouldn't have thought it was that low, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, it, it does drop way down. But, you know, we need to... It needs to be part of education. And, and how are we then, as a society, with regards to being okay with women breastfeeding in public... I think we're I think we're we're okay. I, you know, as as a breastfeeding mother myself, 
Um, I never had any issues going anywhere breastfeeding. Um, I think probably as well you need to be confident and, uh, and you know, you can breastfeed anywhere. You, you have the right to breastfeed everywhere. Correct. Yeah. If, if anybody is uncomfortable, they need Never to got a comment nor a dirty look or a sneer or eyes no. roll to heaven, no? No. Maybe once. Maybe yeah. once or twice. Yeah. Uh, 20 years ago, I was a 20-year-old. <laughs> um, but but not really since then. Like you know, if you hang, if you if you kind of you know bring your 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 people with you and uh, go to a cafe and sit down and uh, feed your baby, you know, then people will see that you're being comfortable. And you know, that's role modelling. If you give off the vibe of being forward. confident, then people, yeah, they, they yes. well, people shouldn't shouldn't comment anyway. It's none of their business. Yeah, no, it's a perfectly it natural thing. It just. Mean, just, just finally before you go, the drinks industry now is going to have to put all sorts of warnings on, on alcohol, you know. We know about this, warning people about liver disease and cancer. And one of the warnings will be the dangers of pregnant women drinking. Um, this this, 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 mm-hmm. is, this is part of the new legislation, um, you know, drinking while, while pregnant. You know, you as a professional obviously would be in favour of that, yeah? Uh, the dangers of drinking. Well, like I mean, once your once your 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 baby is established uh, with breastfeeding, like I mean, there. What would I say? Women can. No, I, I would be ta- I would be talking about maybe a pregnant woman who drinks oh, wine or woman. vodka or gin oh, or right. beer. Okay, not not like uh, just a, a glass of wine. Honestly, of course. Like I mean, like we, the, the studies are out there that that can be very um, dangerous. For, for the developing baby. Yeah, yeah. Um, even even a, a glass of wine, the odd glass of wine, yeah. Well, I guess it's it's harder because like alcohol will go straight through, you know, like the with, 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 to the placenta. Ah, yeah. Because if you get the wine in your system, the baby gets the wine in their system. Yes, but when you're breastfeeding, that's not how it works. But not breastfeeding, but in the womb, yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's interesting. That if you have a gin and tonic, the baby's getting a gin and tonic. Well, the baby doesn't. The baby's liver can't clear. You know, the baby's you know liver isn't functioning yet. Yeah. It's different when the baby is born. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But obviously, women if if if, if women have done issues with alcohol while they're pregnant, they need support and care and compassion, not um, judgment. Um, they they need help to to you know to work through that. But but like seri- like serious consumption of lots of alcohol while pregnant would lead to fetal abnormalities, right? Yes, yeah. gotcha. Fetal yeah. alcohol yeah. Um, syndrome. Yeah. yeah. Th- thank you for that. Yeah. Appreciate it. But thank you, Marie. I'm, I'm yeah. I'm not an expert. I'm not an OBGYN. <laughs> so that. Oh no, but you you do have an opinion yeah. of it, and that's what, yes, what I'm interested in. Thank you for sharing yes. it. Thank you yes. so much. Yes. Appreciate yes. it. Maria O'Sullivan is from breastfeedingcork.ie because we may, I mentioned that actually with regards to um, the new legislation that's coming before. Uh, the well, it's actually been passed. We're going to be the first to have uh, bottles for you know booze warnings and booze labings, labeling, just like we did with cigarette packets. And it's interesting actually that we do that because, um, in spite of all of the warnings and all of the labeling that put was put on food and packaging of food and you know convenience food and you know frozen foods and stuff like that, it, you know, telling you about the, uh, the calories in it and the amount of sugar in it, and it hasn't made a blind bit of difference really. People are getting bigger, and we have a more 
more and more problems now with obesity than we ever had before all of the warnings on food and what have you. But to the phone lines, and uh, I'll play that fox in a few minutes' time. Deirdre, good morning. Good morning. I asked a question there while talking about the rocketing price of baby formula as to whether or not mothers are being encouraged or discouraged to breastfeed. Yeah, definitely I'm discouraged. Um, I myself, when I had my first baby 21 years ago, over 21 years ago, when I was in the hospital, um, in order to help her settle, I was breastfeeding, but the midwives took her to the nursery and gave her a bottle. Now, giving a baby a bottle early on can completely destroy your chance of breastfeeding. I did breastfeed her, but it was difficult after that. I did a bit of combination feeding. And, but what was the reason given? And I know it was 20 years ago, and perhaps things have changed, but what was the reason given for taking the baby away and giving them a bottle? Giving the baby a bottle. And to settle the baby. And uh, truthfully, midwives um, don't really know the ins and outs of breastfeeding. And they don't know why, they don't know that giving a bottle can be detrimental to, to successful breastfeeding, you know. Um, they just, they don't have the education on it. They just don't have the education on breastfeeding and they're just trying to help. It's not out of badness or anything. They're just trying to settle the baby, you know. And what impact did it have then when you tried to breastfeed? But, yeah, you see, what happens is that early on your milk isn't in fully. So if a baby gets a feed from formula, it's absolutely full. And then um, it, you see the baby has to feed constantly in order for your milk to come in. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And You're on the back foot early, straight away, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those early feedings are so important. Like, they are constantly on the boob at the start, but that's what's needed in order to get your supply going, you know. But just on your point there of things may change, I was actually shocked to hear my sister-in-law had a baby two years ago and um, the exact same thing happened in COMH. She was breastfeeding and the midwives gave her a bottle. And did that upset the apple tart? It did, yeah. yeah did it? it did. Really? Yeah, yeah it she, did. She yeah, struggled yeah. after the baby got a, a rogue bottle? Exactly, exactly. I was actually shocked to hear that after so long that those practices were still going on. You know, it's... Um, but, the mater- but the maternity hospitals aren't saying to new... But the maternity hospitals aren't saying to new mums, listen, it'd be better for you, it'd be a lot more practical for you to formula feed. No, they're not saying that. Um, they're not saying that at all. But they're just trying to help new moms that might be struggling a bit with breastfeeding. They're just trying to help by trying to settle the baby. But okay. they don't understand the impact how, of that. How bad that and just yeah. finally, were, were you shocked to hear a statistic? By age six months, uh, only 6% of babies in Ireland are breastfed at the age of six months. No, no, not shocked about that at all. I would say it's actually, I would say that the 30% um, rate is actually over-exaggerated. 30% is uh, in the first six months, right? Yeah, I would but say But by that six months, it's it's 6%. I would say that's grossly over-exaggerated. I mean, just, I know it's anecdotal, but even when I had my last child 10 years ago, um, out of the ward of six women, I was the only one breastfeeding. Wow. You know? Wow. What, yeah. wow. I'd love, to get, I'd love to get some more thoughts and calls on that as to why it's as low as it is. Or And, and I know that, it, like medically, it may not be possible or babies don't always latch on. I, I understand all of that. Um, but I'd love also to get a comparison to other European countries and their rate of breastfeeding. I imagine well, we're, we're probably quite sorry. low. 
just to add as well, Ireland is actually one of the lowest rates in the world. Why? Yeah. And just to add on it as well, in the UK, they actually have a much higher, higher rate of breastfeeding. Um, but in the UK, formula milk isn't freely available in the hospital when you have a baby. And I think that might be the start of the problem. I know you're saying about the cost of formula, but um, it is freely available in the maternity hospitals at the moment here in Ireland. Okay, let's get some more calls on. Appreciate your contribution um, and your contribution to the world with uh, three beautiful children. Thanks for that, Deirdre. Take care. Text 0868104106 after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Yeah, I'm just trying to get the stats for the rest of Europe um, and Claire's going to get even further stats for me, but I did come across an article that's saying that Croatia has the highest rate of breastfeeding in the entire world. More than 98% of all babies are breastfed starting at birth. Uh, Some of the other countries that have uh, very high rates of breastfeeding include uh, Rwanda, Chile and Burundi. Uh, All of these countries have breastfeeding rates greater than 80%. This is not, can I just say, this is not in any way judgmental of anybody, whether they breastfeed or not. I'm just dealing with the, uh, the statistics of it. It all started with regards to the cost of formula. There are a myriad of different reasons as to why women do not breastfeed, and I acknowledge and respect that. I'm just dealing with with the topic, and it started with the cost of, of formula. Uh, but having said that, um, we, we do seem to be very low down the international list of babies that are breastfed at the age of six months comes in at uh, 6%. When I mentioned that, actually, what part of it has to do with the different warnings that we're going to have on alcohol now? Not unlike, you know, the, 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 you remember the smoking ban back in 2004? Everybody was raging about that. That was, I think that was a much bigger, bolder step, actually, than putting labels on bottles of booze, you know, saying from this date in 2004, you can no longer smoke um, indoors or in social settings. I don't think anybody would wind that clock back, to be quite honest with you. I mean, if you think that the smoking ban was a bad idea, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, pick up the phone, 0818104106, text 0868104106. But with regards to the alcohol labelling thing, yesterday Ireland became the first country in the world to introduce an alcohol health labelling policy. Now, some would say this is a nanny state and we're being lectured to and we should be able to decide what's good for us and what isn't without having to be told Um, by our politicians. So from 2026, labels on bottles of alcohol will alert people to the calories, to the risk of cancer, to the risk of liver disease, to the risks of dangerous, dangers of drinking while pregnant. All right, so this is all ahead in 2026. So Seamus took to the streets of Cork to ask, would this kind of calorie counting and alcohol warning and what have you um, affect what you drink or change your drinking habits. Have a listen. Anything that allows consumers to make a more informed decision has to be good for public health. So in this case, same way you are able to make decisions about what you eat, you would absolutely be able to make decisions about what you drink based on what it's going to do to your, your health and your immune system. I do calorie count. Do you? Five count, seven off. Yeah, there's nothing in that then to say. It's already on some of the bottles. Mm-hmm. It's, it's on the West Coast cooler, 93 calories, I think, for them in the big bottle. And I don't think it'll make a difference anyway. If they want to drink, they'll drink. Do you think we're becoming too much of a nanny state? Of course we are. Everything, everything has been watched. And is that not a good thing? Well, to a certain point, but now you don't watch everything. Do you think we're becoming more of a nanny state now? <laughs> You're talking to two Americans who wish we were rather a bit more of a nanny state, you know? 
a little more caring might be nice. <laughs> if you want to go further, I think it's a disgrace to that. They actually have a price cap on and alcohol anywhere that the government make no money off of it, but all the brewers do. So, I mean, where's the logic in this? To be honest, I wouldn't trust the government. Um, I think that um, an awful lot of things that are in our food and alcohols to begin with are poisoning us. Whether we're knowledge that it's just um, basically explained and called something different. So, my faith in the government is completely diminished. I, I wouldn't even read it. I wouldn't either. I just drink it. <laughs> <laughs> like, we've had, I suppose, calorie counts on food and... That doesn't seem to have I any take, effect. No, I don't take any notice of that either. I just eat the food. Yeah. <laughs> if the drink is nice, just drink it. Too late for me now. I nearly, I nearly 70 now. Uh, no, I never change the amount of what I drink. Like, you know, I'm retired. I'm retired now, 17 years. Uh, Do you think the government could be kind of turning their eyes on some on, on better things to legislate against? It's probably going by what they're told, like, no? I think most people already know about what it is. Wouldn't change my mind at all. Like, would you go for the lighter version and drink twice as much? No. <laughs> I go for what I like the taste of. Because they, I know that they've had calorie counts on food for, for decades and it doesn't seem to have done much difference, has it? No, it probably wouldn't change with alcohol. What's their point? I think it's, no, just, I, it's just for information and knowledge for the public, isn't it? <laughs> Isn't We're in this deep, I don't think it's going to matter. Hey, I have 2,500 calories worth of beer today. I'm not eating anything. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see about that. <laughs> have I look at me? <laughs> Do you think I'm going to give two dams about calories? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm too far gone for that. I don't eat much. But what about yourself? Didn't make any difference to my smoking. <laughs> what to put on them? If you smoke, you smoke. If it's up to yourself, like, at least maybe it gives you a choice. Maybe a person might read how many calories and not bother with that. You know what I mean? But I, I can. Couldn't make any difference to me anyway, personally. Would it make a difference if they told how many pints you can drink in a week? Like they say, how many units you can drink a week? And you can only allow two or three pints a week, maybe. Like. So, like, why are you worrying about calories? Like you're drinking 20 or 30 pints a day, like. Well, sure, that's advice now. You're only supposed to have so many pints. In <laughs> well, I know West Coast Cooler have it on their bottles for the last two months that it's 93 calories per serving. Well, that's the thing, like, I, I mean, uh, you would be counting the calories as you're drinking then or whatever. I suppose you'd need to talk to your dietitian or your, your gym instructor if you're trying to lose weight and see how much you're, you're allowed per week, how many calories. He'll have us living longer and he won't have the, 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 the money to pay for the, your retirement. <laughs> that's just going to happen. I'll be starving at the end of the day. <laughs> Against the side of the ditch, you'll be long. You'll be living longer, healthier, miserable lives. It's an interesting point, actually, there with the calorie counting. Um, so, if you go for alcohol, of course, that's lower in calories. The the flip side of that is that you will drink more, won't you? Because the calories are lower. Um, also, um, somebody interestingly made one of the points there in Vox in the Vox there saying that if it's a case of counting the calories of your food and counting the calories of your alcohol consumption, you'll drink more and eat less.
because you're restricting the calories that you're supposed to eat. So good points there. Text 086-8104-106 if you want to get involved in that conversation. Just ahead of 11, uh, a lovely text in from Joe Goodyear this morning, and I hope to be able to speak to Joe tomorrow on the programme. She says, I know you were speaking about the gardens of Beamish House in Beaumont yesterday. I hope you can get to mention that we're having a tour tonight at 7pm. We're meeting at Ballinlock Pitch and Putt Club, which is right next to the um, the reservoir there and the, the you know, top of by the back of Bowman School. So they're meeting there at 7 o'clock at Ballinlock Pitch and Putt Club, the car park there. And they're going to be able to give people a rare opportunity to see the grounds. Um, I'd love to pop along to that at 7 o'clock if I, if I can make it, Joe. And I'll chat with you tomorrow. So 7 o'clock tonight for that tour of the area involved. Very historic site. We're back after 11 with our first episode of our new podcast, You Couldn't Make This Up. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Do get involved, incidentally, on the topic of breastfeeding, particularly with regards to is it becoming more and more acceptable? And of course it should be, but there was a time when we would talk on air and there was people saying, oh my God, the grief that you get when you do it or you're in public or in a restaurant or a bar or on a bus or sitting in a shopping mall over the case may be text 0868104106 Now The Neil Prenderville Show Red FM Day 2 of our giveaway in association with Carew's Wood Garden Centre and Cafe in Castle Martyr and every day this week four people will win 50 euro vouchers every day uh, for Carew's Wood Garden Centre and Cafe in Castle Martyr and on Friday the super deluxe Weber Genesis gas grill barbecue will be won it's worth 1900 euro so it really is a cracking piece of kit for the summer uh, it's a beautiful gar- barbecue uh, you could almost sit into it and drive it home so for that um, to win those vouchers and get into the final on Friday, you need to identify our various uh, famous people every day behind the barbecue, doing a bit of barbecuing themselves. So here is the audio piece for today. Don't call just yet. I'll open the phone lines at 10 to midday. Now the thing is, there's some people out there who are brilliant cooks. So of course I'm highly embarrassed to be telling you how to do this. So you can just have a laugh. Just sit back and have a laugh. So who is that? Don't call just yet. I'll give another world between now and midday. After the break, episode one of our brand new podcast. You couldn't make this up. Coming up on the Neil Prendival Show, an Irish woman's story of a life in the fast lane. We had this magical wedding coming up. Like, my life was perfect. Dozens of connections, hundreds of millions of euro. And then it turned to chaos. I'm trying to tell a toddler that her father is gone. A story of love and loss and a man who needs to be heard to be believed. Jamie used to always say to me, you couldn't make this up. Catch the new podcast, You Couldn't Make This Up, on the Neil Prendival Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. And listen to the entire series from Wednesday 31st of May on the Go Loud app and wherever you get your podcasts. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. You Couldn't Make This Up is a seven-part podcast, a seven-part podcast. That was episode one. Episode two is tomorrow morning after the 11 o'clock news and on we'll go every day until all seven podcast episodes are broadcast on the program. At that stage, I will upload all seven episodes as a podcast um, package and that will be on May 31st. Episode two after 11 tomorrow of You Couldn't Make This Up. Next, though, talking about things coming up, Glenn Hansard from The Frames. 
God, I just love that song. You just got to listen to it really loud. Glenn Hanser, good morning. How are you? How's things? Good to you. Oh, my God, I feel better having heard that. That is actually the radio-friendly version without the F-bomb, as you probably gathered. Oh, is there an F-bomb? I remember, I remember the, the Chris Blackwell was like, look, you need to get to the chorus within a minute. If you don't get to the chorus within a minute, because there's two double verses at the beginning of that, and it was like... And then there's the F-bomb. So, but, but you know what? It served as well, that song. Sometimes you need an F-bomb to get a message across, Glenn, I think, though. Don't worry about <laughs> so. that. But it's like, what is it, 33 years now? You know, when you listen to a song like that and you listen to it on, on hold on a phone, are you, are you analysing it? Are you critical of it? Do you think, oh, I should have done this differently? Because it's perfect to us. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what? The only thing I'd say to it about it is it's too slow. <laughs> That's the only criticism I'd have all these years later, just listening to it there on the phone. Because the mad thing is, and, and bands will tell you this all the time, but it's true, nobody refers back. You just make music and you move on. I know. And so you never, I never sit down and listen to my records or to the Frames records. And the, the, it's just the only time I'd ever refer back to them at all is if we're rehearsing for a gig and I need to remember the words. <laughs> so it's mad to hear that. Really mad. <laughs> is that getting more difficult as time goes on, remembering the lyrics? <laughs> but you know what? It's funny because they're all in there. It's like muscle memory. They're all, all the songs that, that I've written, certainly the ones that I gig, are all in there. And I tell you, the pandemic kind of screwed us up because... You, I was playing regularly enough that I'd remember all my words. But yeah. since the pandemic, I actually, sometimes I need the first, just the first word of a line. That's I all know. I need. And then I've got the rest I can of well imagine. You'd be out, yeah, yeah. You'd be out of practice because you're like for, for all that long. It's like your body forgets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's kind of, the backstory is very interesting. It's not unlike the U2 backstory. All of you guys, like met in school, wasn't it? Well, we met on Grafton Street because I was a street musician. You know, I'm from, I'm from Ballymun. And so it was really great for me to go over to Grafton Street. Uh, I went to the south side because on the north side, my mother sold fruit on Moore Street, you know. So I didn't want to busk in Henry Street because all the women knew me. And I was, you know, be a bit embarrassed. And um, get home to your ma. <laughs> so I went over to Grafton Street, which was like a whole other country. And I met, that's where I met like Dave Odlum and Colin McAlumra and you know, Keela, you know, they were all part of Keela. And, yeah, and yeah. so that's really how we began. We sort of, we began on the street, but we've known each other all that time. So you cut your teeth busking then? Yeah. Yeah, we kept busking. We busked, we busked till about, ah, till about 19, 20. And then we all, you know, I got signed, uh, got signed actually the same week as the Cranberries by the same guy, Denny Cordell. Um, and remember going down to Limerick and meeting, meeting Dolores. God, she was only 15 or something. Oh, time. what a talent, yeah. And, and making, uh, making demos in, the, in their studio, in, in the Brendan studio, their, their manager. You know, so it's a, it's a kind of an amazing... You look back on it now, it sort of throws a very interesting shape. Whereas, you know, coming up, you're just kind of getting on with it and you're just kind of trying to move forward. But it's kind of lovely to reach an age where you look back and go, geez, that was interesting. That was interesting. Yeah. Uh, and the back catalogue, uh, Revelade, Fake, you did Star Star on the marquee and it lit, yeah. it literally lit the roof up of the tent. It was a glorious sight. It yeah, was funny little lullaby. I wrote that song for my little brothers because they weren't going to sleep. <laughs> and uh, it's a funny how a song can kind of it sort of lives, and I think it lives maybe because of Joe's part. Joe, our bass player, sings this beautiful bit at the end of it, which is a bit from a Belgian band called Deus that we love. 
and uh, he sings this beautiful kind of melody at the end of the song. Yeah. And of course, we do the Willy Wonka bit. Yeah, that's so right. The song has kind of developed as, as the years have gone on. Actually, talk about sleepless nights. A little birdie told me that you possibly haven't had a lot of sleepless nights in the past six <laughs> months. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. That, well, eight months ago, eight months ago, we had our we had our first kid, and just man, I am just I I, I can't tell you. It's just did it change it? Oh, it's the most, it's the, it's the biggest, you know, talk about revelations. It's the biggest revelation I've ever experienced. It's the greatest. He's asleep right now, so I'm trying not to talk too loud <laughs> because I just got him asleep. <laughs> I saw a, a better whisper, but I did read a lovely line. I think it might have been in the Sunday world where you said, after the birth, you realize that you're not the most important person in your own life anymore. <laughs> True. And, we, and, you know, especially old rock and rollers like me, you see, you, you know, you become so accustomed to your own needs. And then, and then someone else comes along, and you're like, "Oh my God!" Now every every day of my life is service. I'm in service to this beautiful creature, and it's like, you know, I know that sounds absolutely normal to everybody out there, every normal parent, but. You know, I am just—I feel so blessed to 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 get to. I'm experience. sure you're a wonderful dad. I mean, I mean, th- this conversation primarily is about the frames and, of course, the gig in the marquee on June 9th. But I have I have to mention some of the other back catalogue aspects of your life, including your starring role in the Commitments. Once, yes. which won a Tony Award. Did you travel with that production? I wonder. I didn't. I I was I stuck my head into the rehearsals at the beginning just to kind of give pointers on maybe where my head was at when I wrote a song. And I remember advising the first singer, Steve Kazee, the first guy on Broadway, to go busking because, because you know, his voice wasn't, his voice was grand, but it wasn't, he wasn't that strong a singer. And I said, go busking for a few months and you'll, uh, you'll get the muscle. You'll and did it change him? Did, he, did it make him better doing that? It made him a much better singer. He was, and he, 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 he went, he, he traveled in America, traveled across America in a car and he busked in every town and he said he came back a better just a better musician. But that must have burst your heart with pride, though, you know, achieving that kind of level of success, yeah? Well, you know what? Absolutely. It's, it, you know, when I was, because in the commitments, the commitments were like this amazing moment that happened to me when I was 21. It was like, I don't think any of, I don't think anyone in the, if you ask anyone in the cast, no one expected it. It came out of the blue. Maybe Alan Parker knew that it would be big, but none of us knew. And it, it kind of blew up, and everywhere I went, I was outspan. And you know, it was kind of like, and still am to be honest. Because it's because falling slowly is just such a beautiful song. It's the only word I can oh, think of. You. Beautiful, thank you know. You. I mean, thank you. Yes, I think you're yeah. right when you say it probably comes from the heart. That kind of talent, doesn't it? Well, it's just you know, it's song like falling slowly. It's just a kind of a, it's a bit of a noodle. You kind of like bling dum bling dum bling, and you're kind of, It's only when you said like when I sat down and played that with Marquetta. She brought something to it that was like, oh wow, okay, now we're out of now we're out of our comfort zone. <laughs> I remember thinking at the time, like I remember thinking, Jesus, this song could, uh, Ronan Keaton could sing this song. It's a man, it's crazy because did you did you know when it. you wrote it? Oh my God, I've hit in my hands here, no. Well, not that I've a hit, but like this feels a little uncomfortable, and that's the interesting place. When you write a song that feels a little bit like, should I play this? It's just a bit cheesy. It's just a bit, like, you know, when you get, when you have a song, not that, you know, just because you're kind of slightly on the edge of comfortable with it. I remember, you know, I remember hearing a great interview with Bowie where he talked about, about that and Bowie was like, you should always be operating just outside your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. If you're comfortable when you write a song and, and if you kind of go, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds like me. Then you're kind of probably in the wrong area. That you know, it is, there's something about when you write a song and you go, I don't know. I remember when we when we when the frames were all fake. I remember thinking, God, is this any good? 
you know, like, is this just a terrible saccharine song or is it actually... Ah, you're overly critical. You live in an overanalyzed world. I think it's a good lesson for life, though, actually, isn't it? What's that? No, yeah. the whole idea, like, of constantly testing yourself and constantly living outside that comfort zone you describe. Yeah, I guess, I, I, I guess so. I guess so. And that, you know, and certainly, I've, I've, I, you know, I, whatever I've known before, everything has been wiped clean with the birth of Christmas because <laughs> now everything's slightly out of the comfort zone. I mean, my literally, my friend Eddie said to me, you know, you're wearing your heart on the outside now, and it's so true because the level of anxiety and and and, and just. Just trying to keep this little boy happy and alive. Well done, man. Well done. It's not a bad. It's not a bad journey for a kid of thirteen teaching himself to play the guitar. I can tell you. Well done. <laughs> your sound. No, you sound like a sound guy. Your music is sound, and you're back on Lisa. I think this is the fourth Live at the Marquee. I, I was trying to do the numbers on it: six, eleven, fifteen, and and this June. Am I right? Yes, that's right. That's right. And a great yeah. venue, I'm sure you'd agree. Isn't it the perfect I size? It. Absolutely love it. And love Cork. Cork was kind of the first place outside of Dublin that took us seriously. I remember when the frames were, we were schlepping up and down England, we were schlepping up and down Ireland, and we, oh, we were doing all of it. Back then it was like Horns of Tralee, and you were always on after, before the DJ, so you were kind of the support yeah. act to the DJ. Yeah. And different times, you know, it was fine, it was great. But I remember when we played Cork, there was a sense that the audience were like, no, you guys are a real band, like. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Cork accent. Well done. Well done. You're a keeper. Anyway, listen, the frames with Glenn, Glenn Hansard play Live at the Marquee, Saturday, June 9th. Thank you. Your promoters, Aiken, have given me some double pairs of tickets to give away and a goodie bag for the Live at the Marquee gigs. So appreciate that, Glenn. Um, no we'll, we'll see you in June. Looking forward to it. Great. Thank you, Neil. Lovely guy, he's a sound guy, the great Glenn Hansard on the, the frames. Lines are open for that, incidentally, right now. Uh, we'll take callers uh, 9 and 10 and see how we go with it. 0818-104-106. Unfortunately, while that's happening, so is this. Here's your final opportunity to get involved in today's giveaway. And that, of course, is uh, another couple of vouchers for Carewswood Garden Centre and Cafe in Castle Martyr. And don't forget on Friday, uh, this is a, a kick-ass uh, barbecue. It's the Super Deluxe Weber Genesis Gas Grill barbecue. If you were to buy it, it would cost you 1900 euro but I'm giving it away for free on Friday but you need to identify who this famous person is literally barbecuing now the thing is there's some people out there who are brilliant cooks so of course I'm highly embarrassed to be telling you how to do this so you can just have a laugh just sit back and have a laugh okay I'm fairly convinced that my guess in my own head was correct uh, but I can't win the prize, so it's up to you guys. 0818-104-106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Congratulations, Marion Cavanagh in White's Cross and Lisa Payton in White's Cross as well. That's interesting. Two different winners from the same area. You could all go together to the Frames gig and the Frames play Live at the Marquee on June the 9th. In the coming weeks, I'll have more tickets to give away two more gigs at this year's run at Live at the Marquee that will be starting very shortly. Um, uh, lines are still open because we've got two competitions going at the same time uh, for our Carew's Wood Garden Centre and Cafe audio piece. So uh, keep on trying. Uh, we got 50 euro vouchers every day this week in the barbecue on Friday. Call 0818 Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.